Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was wounded. But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh. Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Kurt Woodsmith. You remember me from such TV comedies as That 70s Show and That 90s Show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far I can kick this bucket. People ask me where I get my dad jokes from. I tell them to listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to How Stuff Works Now. I'm your host, Lauren Vogelbaum, a researcher and writer here at How Stuff Works. Every week, I'm bringing you three stories from our team about the weird and wondrous developments we've seen in science, technology, and culture. This week, we're talking about transhumanism, the social theory that says, for better or worse, that we're on our way to becoming something more than we currently are. And unrelated, a study into marijuana indicates that the drug does indeed change the way that we process emotions. But first, TechStuff host Jonathan Strickland discusses the recent Tesla car accident that brought up important questions about autonomous cars, driver safety, and corporate responsibility. In its current form, is the technology more of a danger than a boon? The fatal accident happened on May 7th, 2016, and involved Joshua Brown, the owner of a Tesla Model S. Brown's vehicle was in autopilot mode, a Tesla feature that's still in beta testing. Brown's car collided with a big rig's trailer as the truck crossed traffic while making a left-hand turn. According to Tesla, on the day of the crash, the sky was brightly lit, making it difficult for both Brown and the Model S's camera system to see the rig's trailer. On top of that, the car's radar system didn't register the rig because it misidentified the trailer as an overhead road sign. Later in May, Tesla held a shareholders meeting. At that time, the company had yet to disclose the autopilot accident to the public, though it had alerted the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. It wasn't until the end of June that information about the incident became public knowledge. Some critics are saying that Tesla should have acknowledged the accident ahead of the shareholder meeting as a material fact because the company has advertised Autopilot as a safe and important feature. Tesla founder Elon Musk responded by saying Autopilot, if it had been universally available in 2015, would have saved as many as 500,000 lives. So who is right? Is Autopilot dangerous or a lifesaver? First, while Autopilot sounds like it could be an autonomous driving mode, Tesla has always maintained that it's a driver assist feature. The company says that drivers should keep their hands on the steering wheel at all times. In fact, drivers must acknowledge this requirement in order to opt in to the beta test and activate Autopilot. 
Second, Tesla pointed out that this incident, while awful, represents the first fatality in more than 130 million miles of Tesla vehicles in autopilot mode. That's lower than the average number of deaths per miles driven. In the U.S., there's a fatality every 94 million miles, and globally the figure is one in every 60 million miles. Third, the autopilot feature is still in beta testing, meaning Tesla is continuously modifying and improving it. It's not a final product. That said, perhaps it's time to acknowledge that autopilot isn't the best name for a driver assist system. Next up, Ben Bolin, host of Stuff They Don't Want You to Know, reports on a study of marijuana use. We've all seen the after-school specials and the scare stories, but what if weed really does rob you of your emotions? Apparently, it does. Sort of. It's better to say that marijuana changes the way we process them, lowering our ability to notice some emotions while heightening our sensitivity to others. A study by Lucy Troop, an assistant professor at Colorado State University, found that cannabis use significantly affects our ability to implicitly recognize and empathize with the emotions of others. Here's how the study worked. Over the course of two years, Troop and her grad students experimented with about 70 volunteers. Each volunteer was asked to identify her or himself as a chronic, moderate, or non-cannabis user. They hooked these volunteers up to EEGs and began showing them faces depicting four expressions like neutral, happy, fearful, or angry. Ah! The EEGs monitored what happened in specific regions of the brain when the volunteers saw these four types of faces. Troop first asked the pot enthusiast and the herbal teetotalers to explicitly identify an emotion. Like, look at this face. What do you think this person feels? In this regard, all three groups functioned at about the same level. However, when asked to identify the gender of the face and then later being quizzed about the emotion, Troop and her team found some weird stuff. The cannabis users were really, really bad at it. Like, so bad. While they could explicitly identify emotions, the second experiment asked them to implicitly register the feelings of others. Cannabis users had a smaller response to positive emotions, those happy faces. Ah, but here's the plot twist. The same cannabis users were found to be more sensitive to negative emotions, especially anger. Are they just used to having to be cool around authority figures and avoid being busted? I'm kidding. Probably not, since all of the users were legal under Colorado's Amendment 64. Troop and her team aimed to conduct a second study focusing on mood disorders like depression or, for the paranoid smokers out there, anxiety. It's important research, especially considering how marijuana's legal status has, until very recently, hampered attempts to conduct meaningful studies on its effects. this week, Robert Lamb, host of Stuff to Blow Your Mind, explores some of the ideas surrounding transhumanism, what it is, different schools within it, and some of the ways that humans of the future might upgrade. Transhumanists just held their augmented world expo in San Jose. In the broadest possible terms, transhumanism is all about the improvement of the human condition through science and technology. We're talking Homo sapiens 2.0 here, upgraded via technology to become smarter and stronger. Yet the particulars of the vision run the gamut of existing human politics and encompass everything from mere science-driven culture to the outright evolution of the human species. 
For starters, just consider some of the various schools of transhumanism to emerge since the 1980s. We've got democratic transhumanists who want advancements for every socioeconomic level, libertarian transhumanists and anarcho-transhumanists who think advancements will elevate us all just fine if the government stays out of it. We also have survivalist transhumanists who just want to defeat death. You've got singulitarians who see transhumanism as an inevitable outcome of the technological singularity. We can't avoid it. All we can do is prepare for it and manage the outcome. Meanwhile, transhuman hedonists just want to feel good, and religious transhumanists weave it all together with their faith. Those are just a few of the approaches. In any case, the next big question is, how will we know we've become transhuman? In 2011, bioethicist Kyle McKintrick presented seven potential indicators. First, we'd need to reach the point where prosthetic limbs and implanted organs are actually improvements over the original. We're not there yet. Second, we'll need to have better brains by virtue of neuroimplants and cybernetics. We're talking a step beyond pharmaceutical power-ups here, and we'd have to be clear that it's not cheating, not brain doping, but a desired upgrade in human cognition. We're not quite there yet either. Third, artificial intelligence and augmented reality would need to be a part of everyday life. Now, based on the phone app that basically drove me to work this morning, I think we're at least getting there. Fourth, we'll want an average human lifespan of roughly 120 years. Fifth, according to McKintrick, we'll want human reproduction to transcend into more of a responsible planning choice. Some work to be done on both of those. Sixth, we'll each need total legal bodily freedom to engage in the sort of cybernetic upgrades necessary to achieve a higher human form. Right now, that's tied up in a lot of governmental red tape. And seventh, Mukentrick argues, we need a strong value of personhood for qualifying non-human entities, such as artificial intelligences and dolphins. After all, no one wants to upgrade themselves out of their basic human rights, right? That's our show for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Subscribe now for more of the latest and strangest science news. And send us links to anything you'd like to hear us cover. Plus, your favorite webcomic. Shoot us an email at nowpodcast at howstuffworks.com. Look up the podcasts, Stuff to Blow Your Mind, Tech Stuff, and Stuff They Don't Want You to Know to hear more from our hosts. And to access thousands of other stories like these, check out our home planet, now.howstuffworks.com. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Kurt Woodsmith. You remember me from such TV comedies as That 70s Show and That 90s Show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far I can kick this bucket. People ask me where I get my dad jokes from. I tell them to listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. 
Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.